Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast exploring the subtleties of living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, and here with me and my weekly guests, you can expect curious and brave conversations all centering around what it means to live into the process of awakening to our worth, wholeness, and power. We will talk about personal, collective, and spiritual freedom, riff on sovereign leadership, living in levity, and bridge the mystical with the down-to-earth and practical. There is not much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Today on Everything Belongs, I'm in conversation with dear friend James Olivia Chu Hillman. James Olivia is a relational life and leadership coach, mediator, facilitator, and enthusiastic advocate of necessary, uncomfortable, and life-changing conversations, which is obviously why I love them. They work with people who want more joyful connection and less suffering in their relationships with themselves, the people they love, and the world. James Olivia has a passion for asking questions that make us squirm a bit and point us back to who we are and what we care about most. James Olivia and I both so share this love of deep, uncomfortable, and life-changing questions. And in today's conversation, we are talking about what right relationship means, how to center ourselves as a way to make room for others, how power dynamics contribute to relationship dynamics, and more. If you are looking for expanding your idea of joyful relationship through having brave, challenging, and uncomfortable questions, today's conversation is just going to light you up. Let's dive in. James Olivia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I know we can see each other. Nobody can see us and I can't stop grinning about it. So it's, it's going to be so good. We've obviously already had a 30 minute, 40 minute chat (laughs) before the (laughs) podcast even hit record. And it's going to be a, it's good luck to us for keeping this within the amount of time that we have allotted. So obviously everyone already knows the work you do, but I'm, I'm curious for you to share how you would describe your work and how you came into it. Oh, wow. Okay. How I describe my work changes from day to day. I will start with how I came into it. The super short version is um, we teach what we need to learn. (laughs) And, And I have a deep foundational belief that relationship is everything. None of us exist in a vacuum. We are always in relationship with everything and everyone. And I don't believe that I was gifted with a lot of the skills to do that well from a young age. Not to say that I didn't have people around me who were very caring and loving and wonderful human beings. And I I believe that we live in contexts and cultures that facilitate us being acting pretty horribly in relationship with one another. Um, Not because we want to, but because that's the tools and the skills that we're given in oppressive, punitive, contemptuous cultures and societies. Um, And that's not to say that, you know, that we're also not surrounded by, is that a dog? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're fostering. (laughs) They are monsters. I love it. Actual monsters. Do they love each other? 
Well, they, side note, they were separated in their last foster home and didn't do well their sisters. And so they needed someone that would foster them together. And Jamie was very excited for this, but I was quite reluctant. Um, <laughs> not as loving and compassionate about it as her. Um, but they're, they're really sweet. And like, whenever someone's a little monster, but you can't help but love them, like they, they're doing a bad thing. And then you look at them and you're like, oh, I love you. Kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know how many parents are listening, but I think people can probably resonate. Yeah. Um, I'm not calling your kids monsters. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'm not when, editing this out, by the way. <laughs> this is staying in. I just want, I, I want you to know that. Excellent. Um, yeah. These are the real conversations that Madison and I have. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think my, my need, my desire to, have better relationships was um, just an inheritance I received like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And I'm obsessed with love and, and belonging and um, wanting to be in right relationship with the people in my life and with the world. And I never knew how to do that. I had to like, I had to scratch and fight my way to what I have now in the, in the way of knowledge and practices. Um, so, so that's how I came into this work. It wasn't easy and it wasn't necessarily fun and it was not paved with like, Oh, Hey, I'm good at this. So I should teach it. It was like, Oh God, I really had to learn this the hard way. And now I can. Mm -hmm. Um, so how I would describe what I do. I facilitate uncomfortable conversations. That's probably the, the easiest way. So sometimes I do that in groups. Sometimes I do that with um, couples or partners. Sometimes I do that with teams at work. Um, and sometimes it's just with one person having a conversation with themselves. Mm -hmm. They are uncomfortable and profound conversations. That's obviously how we've gotten to know each other. There, there are two things I think diving a little bit deeper to give people understanding would be really helpful. You said the word contempt, and it's something I've spoken to here and there, like on Instagram mm -hmm. or in emails, but being in relationship with you has helped me understand contempt towards myself and others so much. So could you just give us an understanding of what that means? Yes. I will start by talking about what what I hold it not to be because I think there are misunderstandings about contempt. And I think a lot of people are like, Oh, well, I don't have disdain for that person. I don't hate them. I don't, I don't find them disgusting. Like, and that's not what I'm holding as contempt. What I'm holding as contempt is, um, I know better. I see better. I do better. I am better. Um, and that might look a lot like love sometimes to some people like, oh, let me help you because you can't do this on your own. Let me take care of you. That is also a form of contempt and contempt can also be directed toward the self. And that often looks like shame, like I shame or powerlessness, like, oh, I can't possibly um, do this thing on my own. I can't possibly get through this. I can't. Um, I'm I'll never be good enough. That's what self-contempt can look like as well. This is something that I have seen show up, obviously, in all my relationships, because I'm very practiced at contempt towards others and towards myself. But it's also something that since knowing you, I've really been extracting and 
looking at my relationship with it within my work and within how I was taught to market. So that's been a mm-hmm. huge shift um, in my understanding of how I see the world to see that contempt is actually like steeped in the coaching industry, steeped in the spiritual world and marketing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. It's okay. I know that we only have like 40 or 45 minutes and I feel like <laughs> I could talk forever on this topic alone, but yet specific to the coaching industry um, and oh, maybe marketing in general. But this idea that like, I, I know what you need better than you do. Um, just the, the sort of hilarious and disgusting paradox of what coaches can do of like, I'm going to teach you how to trust yourself. I'm going to, you know, teach you how to ground into your own wisdom. But before we do that, let me tell you that I'm going to like throw some urgency on this and tell you that you don't know what you need as much as I know what you need. So you're going to have to buy this coaching package. It's like, wait a minute. How do you, how do you teach somebody to trust themselves when you don't allow them to trust themselves from the very start? Like how it starts. My coach, Lena West says how a thing starts is how it continues and how it ends. I love that you mentioned that you have a coach because obviously I coach and I have coaches and I've hired you to support me in some ways. And I think there's a really big difference. And I hear this from people a lot when I start talking about this, of, well, how am I supposed to do that um, and have a coach if I'm supposed to already trust myself? And there becomes this really confusing relationship with support, especially around self-responsibility, which I know that we both deeply hold as a value and a way to move through life. So how do you hold this? I can trust myself. I already have the answers. I'm responsible for myself and I can't actually fully see myself clearly sometimes and having support and guidance or mirroring is also really important because we, we do need both. Yeah. Okay. That's a huge one. So I actually have more than one coach. (laughs) I have more than one coach too. And I don't actually, they're not all coaches. Um, so Lena, I worked with for a couple of years and she was an amazing gift to my business. So part of like the reason that I worked with her was I didn't know how to build my business by myself. I could, I trusted myself that I could do it, but mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel and try and learn, like do trial and error and, you know, failure upon failure every step of the way. I still did that. I still had multiple, like trial and error cycles and lots of failure. And if you have a business, that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> it's like built upon personal failure. <laughs> right. Which, you know, I mean, I'm in it now. So, and as long as I have a business, I probably will be in it like that. Um, so part of that was like, oh, hey, you, you actually do know things that I don't know. Um, and I would like your help because I don't have to figure this out all by myself. Another one of my teachers and mentors is uh, Jen McCabe. And one of the things that she is so spectacular at is, and she's going to hate that I use this word, witnessing. (laughs) She has hang-ups about the word witnessing. It's hilarious. Um, But so I'll use the word listening and being with, just listening and being with. And part of trusting myself is letting myself be witnessed by someone who 
absolutely has no desire to change me or make me be different and be somewhere where I'm not. She just asks me really incredible questions like, is there more? Like, okay, that's what you've got. This is, this is what I heard. Is there more? And just listening to myself talk and go, oh, wait, now that I've said all that, now that I've put down all this shit that I've been holding by myself, maybe there is more. Maybe I do have access to a little more wisdom, a little bit more resolution, or a little bit more energy that I didn't know was there, or a little bit of an answer like, okay, go take a nap and you'll be all right. Um, or why don't you make a different decision about this that will serve you better? And she doesn't have to push me to get there, but being witnessed by somebody who doesn't have an agenda other than for you to be more yourself is an incredible gift. And I don't think that our friends always know how to do that for us. Our partners don't always know how to do that for us. And our parents certainly don't know how to do that for us. And they also don't always want our authenticity. Mm-hmm. because of the relational dynamics that can be in place, the biases mm-hmm. that are held. I, I know personally when I was leaving evangelicalism, my friends certainly didn't want me to be honest about, they wanted, they said they wanted wholeness for me, but if that wholeness meant leaving the system that was working for our relationship, um, I had to hire a coach to actually be able to see myself outside of that system. So yeah. I love the way that you, described that because that's very much my experience. And I've had experiences with coaches that could see me and I've had experiences with coaches who would prefer me be them. And it, you know, I've learned, but starting from contempt of starting from a power dynamic or a hierarchy, um, that actually brings me to something I wanted to talk about anyway, which is the lie of superiority (laughs) and what it has to do with leadership Yes. Could you riff on this for us? Um, Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think you talk about this too, because we've had so many conversations about this, but it's the thing that I have long called hierarchies of worthiness. Yes. Like when we look at the systems that we live in, like patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and like, you know, ableism and fat phobia and transphobia, it's like, who's bodies, who's, what persons are more or less worthy systemically. Uh, we internalize that shit. And sorry if I'm swearing a lot. I like swear all you want. Forget this is a podcast. I'm like, I'm just having a conversation. With Matt. Everything belongs, James. Yeah. <laughs> Everything belongs. Even your swearing. <laughs> I'll be sure to remind people. Um, <laughs> so In these hierarchies of worthiness, what we internalize is this lie of of superiority, whether it's ours or someone else's. It's like I've been talking a lot lately about the pedestals that we put people on, like where that is completely founded in self-contempt. It's, oh, this person is superior to me in some way. This person, um, not that other people can't guide us. Like we, we are taught and guided and mentored and parented and led by other people. Um, and, and we can certainly be really wise in our decisions about who can do that. But this lie of superiority I, for me is this idea that certain people, certain beings, certain sizes, certain like 
personality types are somehow better than others. Certain species, like we're a very human-centric culture in the United States, um, like that we are somehow outside the ecosystem of our relationships and and that something is worth more, that we're not, that maybe everything doesn't belong. Mm. Oh, yuck. Just made myself throw up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the work you do is to bring people and support people to get into right relationship. Um, obviously not just with others, but with everything and with themselves and to realize that everything is a relationship. And I'm going to read this, but I don't botch it in any way. But you often say there are no relationships you are not in and that are also not in you. What does that mean? Because it's a conceptual from um, I've grown a lot in my relationship with boundaries, but they started very much like I'm going to cut you out and mm-hmm. end this relationship because it's toxic. And I think that, that that's a response, of course, to trauma and to have been hurt for far too long or for maybe mm-hmm. letting resentments build for far too long. Um, but this idea that actually those, what I've called boundaries, didn't actually end the relationship. They just changed it. Mm-hmm. That's something that you talk about a lot. Could you Could you expand upon always being in relationship. Yeah. I just got chills hearing you say that. Cause I'm like, yes, I talk about this all the time and I'm so happy. Somebody understands what I'm saying. Um, yeah. When we, when we set those, I won't even say firm boundaries, hard boundaries. Like when we estrange ourselves from other people, when we, um, and I'm using air quotes here, end a relationship, the relation. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as the relationship right? Like I have my relationship with you. You have your relationship with me. There are multiple relationships here and I'm holding mine and you're holding yours. So even when I end the relationship, you've got your relationship with me still. That's going on. That's none of my business um, unless you choose to make it my business. And I still have my relationship with you and my relationship with you might be an avoidant one. It might be an estranged relationship. It might be healthily estranged. It might be the most wonderful thing ever to no longer be in conversation or contact with you. It might be really healthy for me to um, be in denial about your existence for a while so that I can rebuild, you know, other parts of my life in ways that are um, more grounded and, and vibrant for myself. And there's still a relationship that lives in me because, because you still exist to me. Mm. Um, unless you and the memory of you and everything about you has somehow been like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind erased from, from me and my psyche, there is a relationship there. You already know this. The podcast listeners might not know this. I'm, in this season of my life, currently not speaking to my mother, as you would say, estranged from my mother, which means also estranged from her husband, my stepdad, who's been my stepdad my whole life. Um, and it has been so interesting bringing up so much belonging stuff, which you and I have talked about so much. When you said the word estranged, it often can feel that way. Even when we're 
well, I'm going to say in relationship, but in contact with people when we mm-hmm. don't feel like they're seeing us or like it's how we wish to be in relationship, yeah. it can feel like an estrangement. And I've been looking a lot at um, the women who come through Awaken Her Soul in that process. It feels often like an estrangement of belonging with the immediate community, with the systems that they're in, to address these systems that we're in can lead to feeling estranged from belonging. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if you could twofold explain what belonging means to you mm-hmm. and explain what right relationship is. Okay. Remind me, because I'm going to come back to both of those things. Yes, please. Um, I want to not skip over this really important thing that you just brought up, which is our desire to be to be recognized by other human beings. Like mm-hmm. our there's I think that that is not necessarily belonging itself, but there's a sense of belonging that comes with it. Um, There's a feeling of belonging, a a sense of being with and being connected. And, And when we give another human being or another group of human beings the power to dictate whether or not we understand ourselves as belonging in the world because they see or don't see us. That seems like just a hop and a skip to codependency. Maybe it is codependency. (laughs) Maybe it is codependency. (laughs) Yes. Continue that thought. Um, So I think that leads right into what, what do I understand as belonging? And I think this is still, I mean, we have had so many conversations about this because I think because neither of us really have an answer. So (laughs) when you keep asking this question to other people, I want to know their answers, but what I don't have is that it's human centric again, like we are in, um, when I say ecosystems, I don't just mean like, oh, with the earth and the planet and the, and the nature. Um, but I love the title of your podcast, Everything Belongs, because everything exists. Like it, that which exists belongs. The universe would not have it any other way. <laughs> so um, I think our, our sense of belonging when it is codependent and human centric and specifically tied to another person or group of people can be really, really a deep struggle for us spiritually and emotionally and, and physically. I mean, it has, it has effects on our, our health as well. Um, But spiritually that understanding that we belong because we exist living in these hierarchies of worthiness or within these lies of superiority and being told by other people um, that perhaps we don't belong or that we, that we are not worthy of care and affection and resources and love and belonging feels like the root of like relational emotional trauma to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, in 
in the programs I teach, and I know in the programs you teach, I don't know if you say it in the same way, but it's deconstructing the cultural norm, the cultural understanding, the stories we've been told. I mean, the, the parallels I've seen from people who grew up in a narcissistic abusive home like I did versus someone who grew up as a person of color and systems of racial oppression mm-hmm. and someone who grew up in a cult. And I'm seeing that it's the traumas are traumas of belonging mm-hmm. and belonging with self and belonging with others because they're, they are relational traumas. And I think that all of them are spiritual traumas because if we actually can't belong with ourselves and with people, it's a disconnection from belonging. Like you exist, therefore you belong. It, that, it, that is existential. So mm-hmm. when people start going through this process and it's like, this just feels so existential. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. I'm fired up. <laughs> I'm so fired <laughs> Go on. Up I love this. to hear about it. Well, the grief it brings up, and at least in my life, especially in the beginning of this, felt like I was doing something wrong mm-hmm. to start noticing that things weren't as they should be. The sense of, I know and I believe I'm good, but my body is having a response that I don't belong here, that other people don't like me, that it's better when I'm not around. That's a big belief that definitely has to do with belonging that mm-hmm. I've consistently been working through since I was a child. I remember believing that back then and seeking out places of belonging in codependence, like you said, like this, this wound. Um, and yet then we repeat it mm-hmm. because it's the dynamic that we've learned. Even when we spend time deconstructing and getting into right relationship, which I am still curious your definition of how, how you would uh, bring right relationship forward. But uh, it, it really pains me because I believe that we're, this is just a personal belief that we are all expression, unique expressions of divine. It's actually all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if I believe that it implies that everything and everyone belongs, but culturally systemically we're not mirrored that so to exist the the amount of internal sovereignty and liberation that must be present to exist as you belong Mm -hmm. when you're being mirrored that you don't constantly yes that's the key when you're being mirrored mirrored that you don't belong constantly because what it takes for a lot of people is privilege like yeah that you when you have the privilege of being told either from your family of origin or from society at large that you're valuable and, and beloved and you belong like how ideal, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's as, as we should all be able to exist being told that we're being told and shown and, and resourced and, cared for in a way that shows us like, yes, you belong, you're loved, you're cared for. I have a question about this because I've seen, and some people call it the wound of the maiden, um, the inner child wound maybe, but Mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying. And 
when I have and when I see people <laughs> saying, if you would change, then I will feel belonging. If you would change, then I will feel at peace. And so it creates, again, this um, frustration and tension with our relationships and the systems that we exist mm-hmm. within because sometimes they're not willing to change so that we can feel the sense mm-hmm. of belonging that we want. What would you um, what would you say to someone who's like, yes, if only these systems would mirror back my goodness? Um, so yet another one of my teachers and mentors, Andrea Renee Johnson, says a thing that I don't love. Love <laughs> 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 honesty. So damning to myself. Um, no, I, I do love it, and it's so challenging. But Andrea says, you are the system and the revolution. Mm-hmm. We all participate in the systems in which we live. Um, systems are made of people and decisions. And if we want the systems to change, then we must change our decisions about how we participate in them. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of responsibility. It sounds like a gigantic oversimplification also. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and how we go about doing that. Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility because I don't believe that there's a single right way to do it. We all have our, our ways of taking responsibility and making decisions and choosing how we're going to show up and participate. And it's not going to look the same for everyone. What you were talking about just now about, you know, if only you would be different. A lot of this is how, okay, so how do we want to be different? How do we want to show up with our difference, especially when there are people around us going, you're doing it wrong. Like I wanted you to be different and you're being different, but you're now doing it wrong. Um, And a lot of people will tell us we're doing it wrong. Some people might be listening right now and being like, this is, this is irresponsible. This is reckless. You're doing it wrong. And they might be right. Um, And I would also ask like, okay, show me your way. And is it okay if we do it different ways? Mm. I'm curious bringing in the idea of right relationship in difference, if you could actually define right relationship in opportunities of difference Mm. and how you practice it in opportunities of difference. Okay. So when I talk about Andrea and Jen McCabe, this is exactly why I work with them. (laughs) Like this is my next four years of my life. um, Studying this deeply, how we, how we use difference as an opportunity to relate rather than an opportunity to punish and destroy one another. Eek. Um, mm. uh, whole podcast <laughs> just on that. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oops, let that slip. Um, <laughs> so right relationship, I'm going to throw out what I have around that and it's not complete. It's just what I, what I hold. Um, and if you're curious about like a deeper, broader, more um, systemic and movement-based analysis of it, go follow Desiree Attaway. Um, she's 
another brilliant teacher whom I adore. Um, but what I hold around that in its most oversimplified form version that I can apply to any kind of relationship to start out is in right relationship, there's room for you because there's no relationship that you're not in. There has to be room for you or else like what? <laughs> um, or else you can't get to the next part, which is, and it's also sustain- sustainable. It's just unsustainable. Um, and just, I'm going to be really, really clear about the definition I'm using, which is sort of a you know dictionary.com definition of concerned with having concern for everyone involved. So I'm not talking about retribution. I'm not talking about like the justice system. I'm not talking specifically about social justice. I'm not talking about uh, like how we are made whole, not specifically that like it does cover how we are made whole in the case of harm, but how are we regarding everyone involved? It doesn't mean caretaking everyone involved. It doesn't mean that we are responsible for everyone else's experience all over the place um, solely by ourselves. It's, are we regarding that there are others involved? Like in my relationship with the earth, am I regarding the earth? Am I regarding the other beings that live on the earth? Um, Is it sustainable takes into account what our skills and desires and capacities are and also that there are others involved. So if there's not room for me, it certainly is not sustainable. If there's not room for you, it's probably not sustainable either. There is so much there that there really isn't enough time to fully go into and sift out. The, way, the, the one place that I have a question is around actually disobedience mm. and, and how that has to do with right relationship. Um, favorite. <laughs> because disobedience <laughs> is often thought of as oppositional and whenever I think some people might hear room for me, there can come in with this blasting. And I see this often with like embody your power, become the queen you are like all of the things that kind of are in popular um, sovereignty language that give no fucks, take no shit. Like, yeah, be unapologetic. All of that um, often lacking nuance, lacking care, lacking wholeness, really of all parts of us. And so when you say disobedience, I can see, because you use that word a lot in your work, mm-hmm. um, how it would be potentially interpreted as reactionary and then forcing room for us mm-hmm. in the relationship. And I, because I have been in a relationship with you, know that that's in general, like not what you're saying. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm curious how to, to be disobedient as an act of right relationship without being in opposition. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot there. So one, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that's not your experience of me. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so we are always in opposition to something because everything belongs. So everything exists just our mere presence opposes something, whether it's conscious or active or not. Um, 
Just even taking that breath, I'm like, I just used up so much oxygen and <laughs> like, um, and my little spider plant back here is like, I'll, I'll eat that CO2 for you. Like we're, we're supporting each other, even in our opposition, um, in our consumption, in whatever it is we're doing to destroy what we're destroying. We create something else that something, some other being can use. Um, I just totally rabbit trail, didn't I? Okay, so how do we how do we something 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 without being in opposition? Can you repeat the question, please? Yeah how how do we be disobedient so oh, that we can be our authentic selves in right relationship without just being in opposition to everything? How do we break the rules without being assholes? Is what yeah. I'm wow, okay. that's a really good way of saying that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe you can ask if you want to. I'm right. just, that's not my aim, personally. Right. Same. So disobedience assumes rules. So if we go to school and we know, like, we're supposed to sit in a certain seat, we're supposed to be there, like, be inside from recess as soon as the bell rings, like, we know what the rules are. We're supposed to raise our hands if we want to ask a question. And being disobedient is breaking the rules. Well, now we're grown-ass people, and we're in relationships, and our relationships come with a lot of unspoken, assumed rules. And a lot of times, those unspoken assumptions don't leave room for us. Um, like, we might be in a romantic relationship and find that, like, holy crap, this is, there's there are a lot of roles that I'm playing within this relationship that don't leave room for what I actually want and who I actually am. And, and there are a lot of unspoken agreements that I don't want to agree to anymore. Hmm. And so those unspoken agreements, those are the rules, right? There's even a book, that dating book, the rules I never like, or oh, I never heard of that. Okay, there was like a whole thing. Maybe you're that much younger than I am. Um, I also had like the evangel. There was there was a book called How to Kiss Dating Goodbye in my world, which was like dating isn't real, just court. And the the rules are like don't have sex until you're married, and don't be alone with your partner ever until you're married. And there were rules, yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of them are like actually even codified in books. Like I mean, I'm sure you can pick up any like women's magazine. Be like, oh, okay, what are the rules for, you know, being sexy enough or like what are the rules for the way you're supposed to dress for this particular job interview or whatever? Well, we kind of know. Like they're they're unspoken rules, but we mm-hmm. kind of know. Right. I mean, even down to like how much physical space you're supposed to take up based on your gender. Um, like how much you know what's you know what's acceptable and when it's what's unacceptable most of the time if you've been in a particular culture or environment for long enough. You know what's okay for you to say and do. And within our interpersonal relationships, um, part of making room for ourselves isn't just like, I'm just going to break these rules willy-nilly. It's, sometimes it is. But sometimes it's, I I would like to question these rules and figure out for myself whether or not I want to consciously agree to them. Um, Do I want to be in relationships where it's not okay for me to say, 
you know, I know we had plans and now I have a migraine. Um, and I would really, really love it if we could postpone when you're in a, when you're in a social relationship where that's not okay, you can't break those rules. There's not a lot of room for you to not be like a fully able-bodied person. Like if you have some sort of health stuff, I, I just used a migraine as an example, but if you have any kind of like physical or mental health stuff, it's like, oh, wow, I can't participate in the way that your rules tell me I have to participate. Is there room for me here? Mm-hmm. Or do I have to like me being on the spectrum? Masking is a real thing. Like in my conversations with you and my conversations with Ben, my partner and my conversations with Nick, like Nick Strack, if anybody's wondering, <laughs> um, I can be goofy. I can be like, even just calling it goofy. It's, is it really goofy or it's just a who I am and I rabbit trail and I go off on tangents and there's room for me. And in relationships where I have to mask and act normal, um, there's not as much room for me. And I would like to break those rules more often. That's, and that's a like really kind of mild example when we're talking about systemic injustice. There are a lot of major rules. I feel like we all could be breaking a little more. We should do like two podcast episode 2.0 on just the rules that could be broken. I can't even like that was, I want to like close the podcast and it's opened a huge portal of, of conversation around, (laughs) around rules and what's acceptable. And I just think for anyone listening, I mean, this is a continued exploration. I mean, someone might be thinking rules in their religious environment. Someone might be thinking rules around systemic racism. Someone might be thinking rules at work and what's acceptable or rules within their enmeshed family system. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. And even in relationships that um, start off in ways that aren't enmeshed or unhealthy and like allow room, just our ideas of what relationship is create rules. It's actually been a really beautiful thing about being in a same sex relationship is like, Oh, well, like no one, I have no framework. And so the rules are more made up. Like I get mm-hmm. to actually have sovereignty over them from a different slate than my previous relationship. So James, Olivia, I want to ask a couple like quick questions. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I'm curious for immediate reaction. Okay. So the first question is, what was your spiritual background growing up? Um, immediate reaction is spiritual or religious because they were very different. Mm. But I was raised Southern Baptist on my dad's side and Chinese Baptist on my mom's side. So Are those things vastly different experiences of being Baptist? A Southern Baptist is vastly different from just about anything. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah, I'll say yes. I have experience with Southern Baptist, but not Chinese Baptist. So Yeah. Well, I didn't even understand the services, so I didn't grow up speaking enough Chinese that wasn't like dinner table Chinese mm-hmm. for me to understand more than like, oh, these are the words that, that prayer sounds like. So sometimes when I like hear my grandmother who past 25 years ago when I hear her praying I hear her praying in Chinese so Mm. the next question is like when you know and deeply know something to be true how do you know 
I'm going to quote my friend Christina here. The body knows. What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? We do not have enough time for this. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast episode three, the identities we let go of. (laughs) Any you want to name right now? Oh, God, so many. I mean, let's just start with like child, woman, wife, um, identities that I've never even had that I've had to let go of. Like I've never been a mother and that's an identity that's not ever going to be for me. Mm. Um, stuff that I'm still grappling with student musician. Um, yeah, I can't. This is so big. <laughs> <laughs> this is like an entire module fire. of disobedience school. <laughs> yeah. It is an entire module of Awaken Her Soul. Like, it is an entire <laughs> module. So I'm happy you're enjoying my quick rapid fire closing of the podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> what are you most enjoying learning right now? Oh, my God. Gardening. So good. I'm learning how to. I'm learning how to grow seeds. What does grace mean to you? Oh, all right. I'm just full of quoting other people today, but the my favorite definition I've ever heard was from Sarah Joy Rivers. And I asked her that question and she said, mm. unmerited regard. Mm. Yeah. What is your coffee shop order when we are allowed to go to coffee shops? steamed milk with anything sweet in it no coffee i don't drink coffee just steamed milk is that actually an order or is that just what you would if you like went basically throw anything into it and like i'll drink decaf like throw a shot of decaf espresso in there or make it a latte or i mean like a, a chai latte or a tea like decaf or okra. i just don't drink caffeine yeah because it makes me not okay I'm noticing me too, but I've not given it up because I'm like, "Hmm, I like feeling like this. This might be a problem. I choose it. Last question. What do you want? Oh, that's just mean, isn't it? Uh (laughs) (laughs) I get so much pleasure from doing this. It's ridiculous. Um, right now I want I want a good cry. Wow. I didn't even know I wanted that until you asked, but yeah, mm-hmm. right this minute I'm like, Oh, I, I could totally go for a good cry. Would you like us to hold space for it on the podcast? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like I have time. Uh, <laughs> <just> <laughs> oh, thank you for your honesty. Is there anything else? Oh, that's so good too. Um, there is, there's like, there's years and years worth of more. Yeah. There's years and years of more to come. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Thank you so much for this conversation today. Thank you. This has been a blast for me. I so love being here. Thank you for tuning in to everything belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. 
And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF, and members-only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on Everything Belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.